Hello everybody, welcome to the No Breaking Podcast. In case this is your first time joining us across the networks of, what is it, Stitcher, TuneIn, uh, Google, iTunes and all the rest of them, it's great to have you. Oh, Spotify as well, can't forget Spotify. But uh, this is the show where we talk to a new guest every week, or sometimes recurring guests, about themes or their journeys into the world of automotive or anything at that realm. And this time I've got the founder of Vintage Electric. And I'm going to butcher his last name because that's what I do to everyone guest. And I apologize in advance, Andrew. But Andrew Davidge. That was perfect. Oh, look at that. I'm very happy that I opened myself up for a big thing and then I delivered. So it's these little things in life. So... Andrew, thank you, obviously, for, for making the time to come out here because you're not based here in Southern California. No, we're based in Northern California, up you know, about 45 minutes south of San Francisco. Yeah, so that might give some people a bit of an idea of what Vintage Electric might be about. So why don't you, as the founder of Vintage Electric, tell us what uh, your, your elevator pitch, I should say. All right, my elevator pitch. So, I mean, Vintage Electric was really founded by a group of guys and girls that were just really passionate about everything automotive. And in particular, a lot of our passion stem from the early 1900s where cars were simple and light. And, you know, I think that the thing that interests us most about that era are the amount of different builders that were coming out. And there was three-wheeled cars and motorcycles and just all the internal combustion vehicles from back in the day. Um, this were so exciting and so passion-filled. So, when we decided to build an electric bike, we looked back, you know, into our past. You know, it's been a hundred plus years since then, and we tried to tie that DNA into the bikes that we build today, looking into the future. Um, you know, we're not just passionate about cars and motorcycles that were built in that era. You know, everyone at the company is, you know, our director of marketing has a Lincoln Continental. Everybody else has kind of track rat cars. You know, we love cars and motorcycles. Those fill up part of the warehouse sometime too. <laughs> and there's nothing at all wrong with that as long as you've got space for it. Yeah, we try, we try to keep them in the back lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you've got a couple of bikes there, I guess, that need to take preference right up front. Exactly. So uh, tell us, how does one, I mean, you obviously, what was your, what's your background then to say that you came about with doing this? So I grew up racing bikes all around the United States, downhill mountain bikes. Mm -hmm. Um, then I transitioned into tracking cars, racing 125cc go-karts. So I've always had a love for anything on wheels that goes fast. I've also had a love for design. You know, my initial intent out of high school was to go to the art center in Pasadena mm -hmm. and into transportation design. I've always loved architecture, you know, anything that's designed well. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's my background there. Out in community college, when I was planning on transferring to the art center, we built the very first bike. Okay. It was originally just to get around at the racetrack and around town. And, you know, some of the people that are still at the company helped build the wheels. We built this thing in my parents' garage. And, yeah, it, that's kind of the background. We built the first bike, and people showed up at our front step and said, I want to get one of those. So, Which isn't a bad thing to be at all, right? Yeah. And so growing up in the Silicon Valley, it was... You hear about these garage startups turning into companies, and that was kind of ingrained in me. So we got a warehouse. My friend Shay Nyquist was building custom Harleys and mm -hmm. helping us with the engineering, and we started shipping the bikes. Um, and then so how did you go from making that first prototype to then going through the conception and then putting it all the works behind it, so to speak, to, to get the company where it is today? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a long journey for sure. You know, the first... The first prototype we built, it was a one-off. Um, then we 
you know, took that one off the concept behind it and we truly went into figuring out how we can get this bike into production. And growing up in high school, we had an awesome metal shop, an awesome metal shop teacher. So we learned how to run CNC machines, run a foundry, lathes, mills, all of that. So that helped with it. Yeah. Uh, Shay Nyquist, who was building the custom Harleys, he had an engineering background. So he helped with getting the parts and pieces that are really, truly special to the bike, battery boxes, frame details, all of those things, production ready, getting tooling ramped up. And once we did that, we took those two production prototypes down to Pebble Beach Concourse and we took them to Gordon McCall's Wednesday night jet center party, mm -hmm. put them on the red carpet. And this was really before we were like, this is going to be a real business where we're full into it. And you just went there purely for the canopies, right? That was it. Yeah. We just, and we, to look at the aircraft. Yeah. We put them there and we said, Hey, was be interested to see if we sell a couple or get some interest behind it. And you know, 10 minutes into the night, I realized we had some interest. I had to excuse myself, go to the bathroom, download the PayPal app and start taking orders that night. And that's really when it turned into a real business. And that was in 2013. Okay. And, you know, those first two years were all about, you know, just building the bikes. We were staying up until midnight, cranking these things out. We were welding and grinding, painting, doing everything in the shop. And, you know, from then we got some great, you know, we had some great marketing campaigns behind it. It was all organic, though. Mm -hmm. Jay Leno's Garage had us on. We did a collaboration with Jonathan Ward from Icon 4x4, which is awesome. You know, he's a hero of mine. Oh, wonderful. And a guest of the podcast as awesome. well. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. He's and a, his leather work is incredible. Yeah. He's, I he's, mean, everything he does is incredible. His watch collection, his suit collection, his cars that he makes, the crazy things he comes up with. I didn't know about his soup collection. Suit. Oh, Sorry, suit. no, it's not. It's, I I mean, he, like he may have a soup collection as well. I mean, that's all. Little do we know. I mean, I'd, I'm, he, I wouldn't put it past him. Let's put it that way. Yeah, he's someone I've looked up to. And so we, we had some of those great opportunities. We took advantage of them. And, you know, that's when the world started to learn about Vintage Electric in a very niche little market of the automotive world. And the next step was we went all in. We got a big warehouse. We set up an assembly line. And we were just cranking bikes out. And, you know, setting up the foundation for building quality bikes that are really meant to last a lifetime. Mm -hmm. That's what we've been focusing on for the last two years, just getting our production set up. Um, we now manufacture a lot of things overseas. Um, but yeah, that, that's been the main goal is just, we went from a garage startup to selling more than we could build. And now we're at this point where we can sell awesome products and ship it all around the United States, all around the world. And it's an exciting spot to be in. So with this being like your own company of sorts, or there's a founder that's coming right from the ground up, what's been some of the challenges of going that migration, like going from the, the garage startup to then having the warehouse, then filling the warehouse, and then realizing that the production's going to exceed that. So then how do you work with man, uh, managing and finding those partners, I should say, that you're now working with that are, that are helping you through this process? I think the thing I'm most grateful for is just the staff and mm -hmm. everybody that works at the company. You know, I, I'm a bit more of a visionary, forward-thinking, always wanted to do the, you know, create, create new bikes, create new things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have an awesome staff, the sales staff. There's Eddie Johnson who just... Every single one of our customers love him. He takes care of every single one of them. You know, we have Jimmy Hopkins who, you know, a big thing for us is service with yep. the company. And e the e-bike industry is blowing up right now, but there's very few brands that truly stand behind their product. And if, if you have anything going on with your bike, if you have any questions about your bike, we're there to pick it up. And Jimmy's the guy that heads up that whole operation. And then, you know, the guy that 
I really started this company with, uh, Brian Hamilton. He's now our director of operations. He handled, he's like, where he's my, he's the yin to my yang. He, okay. He, you know, I'm kind of the crazy one. He, he reels me back a little bit, makes sure that bikes are being built. He's in t- Taiwan right now, making sure that everything comes in flawlessly and gets shipped out flawlessly. So really, I, I mean, we started this company. We didn't know exactly what we were doing, but we've learned, and it's really just surrounding yourself with people who are better than you at certain things, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's been the thing I'm most grateful for is, you know, even Robert, the guy in the back of the warehouse, he just, he's so dialed. He makes sure every bike gets out on time. And if, if I was shipping the bikes, <laughs> some something would end up in Kentucky when it was supposed to go to Dubai. Sure, of course. <laughs> I imagine that it could be quite the difficult things there. Yeah. And then, so can you tell us a little bit about? Uh, so, why don't you talk us through the bikes and how they progressed for those two that you the the one the prototype, the two that you displayed at McCall's, and now the range of bikes that you have now. Maybe even tease us a little bit about potential future ones. Yeah, definitely. So, and you can all. I'm happy to talk. You can tell me which ones that I rode since I've forgotten because I'm terrible like that. Yeah, and then de- I can tell you how good they are. Definitely. So, the bike that really started the company is our Tracker, mm-hmm. and the inspiration for that bike comes from early board track racing where these guys were doing over 100 miles an hour on bikes with just an on-off switch and no brakes. Yeah. And that's, you know, really the foundation of our company. Uh, and that's the bike, that's the throttle bike that you rode. Which I enjoyed. Because, well, uh, let's let people know this, of course. I don't want to be swayed by it. Let people think I was swayed. But they did invite me to go ride the bikes on Venice Beach Boardwalk. And it was a lot of fun. That's the idea. It's yeah. fun, right? Yeah. It was great. It was one uh, that I was able to easily, very manageable, and on... I should say avoiding pedestrians was very easy on that and going over the the transitions from what some people might think is silly but the sand the pavement was straightforward and stress free yeah so in I mean if let's be honest comparing on some of the other things that you could go over there like on the scooters and whatnot it was so much more enjoyable than doing things like that yeah and for that bike a big thing is the performance mm-hmm. you know those early board track bikes were meant to go fast and this bike's built to go fast it so goes fast it's yeah. not just we, so we build some of the most powerful electric bikes on the market mm-hmm. but it's not just about the speed and the power it's how the bike handles how the bike corners how you when you get on the brakes that thing stops we have regenerative braking built into it much like a tesla Mm -hmm. and you know that tracker really spawned the rest of our throttle bike line and so now we have a new bike coming out it's you know big range battery pack inverted suspension forks big brakes it's you know it's kind of the the ultimate evolution of that very first bike we built we also have in our throttle bike line, we have our Scrambler. Mm-hmm. So it's similar to the Tracker, but it has, again, suspension fork, knobby tires, and it goes back to that, you know, even the first flat track dirt motorcycles that were racing before the board track bikes, but also up into the 70s of people converting their street bikes into something that could go on gravel roads and dirt paths a lot easier. Yeah. Um, and so that really rounds out our throttle bike line. Um, and something that has been growing a lot in the e-bike industry is pedal assist. So in 2016, we looked at all the pedal assist bikes that were coming out, and we thought, if a pedal assist bike was built in 1910, what would it look like? And that's where our cafe in Rally came from. So our cafe is pedal assist only. So mm-hmm. the harder you put, you push down on the pedals, the faster you go. And you rode that bike too. Right? Yes. And it was it was the the sensation of whereas you have the you can either give it some go and if you want to be pedaling that was a difference where it was it felt much more like a a normal bicycle as opposed to one that was just throttle assist where it feels like a sort of a motorcycle of sorts i would say that yeah and, and it was it's enjoyable to have the notion of being able to pedal a bike i mean it's what you're familiar with obviously 
and it just is it's a good fun memory and if you want a little bit of extra zip they've got it there and it's great yeah and for our between our, our throttle bike line is really a light motorcycle mm-hmm. you know for it's it, or i guess it's not internally more if i'm saying it on a podcast but it's really a motorcycle for car guys and it's the, it's really the best solution, in our opinion, for a motorcycle to get around a major crowded city. You can still ride on the bicycle pass. You can ride in the bike lane. But it gives you that motorcycle sensation where our pedal assist platform is really a normal bicycle, but you feel like you have superpowers. Yeah. And that bike – I was ready to go on the Tour de France. Yeah. you know, I was ready to go. Has five, our, all of our bikes have five different levels of power that you can go through. And on, that, on the pedal assist bike, our rally and our cafe, you know, if you put it in level five – you're zipping along at 28 miles an hour, barely moving the pedals. You know, and I ride a cafe to work every day. And when I ride to work, I ride level five, get there as fast as I can. And then when I'm coming home, put it down one or two, get my little workout on the way home. So they're both just different flavors for different customers. And so if you could tell us, explain a little bit about some of the regulations that you have to deal with in regards to the size of the, the electric motors that you can have on them. Uh, what the regulation for that and the speed and, and how does that work? How does this all come together of sorts? Because I imagine it might be quite challenging. Yeah, so there's th- – uh, I won't get into Europe because there's a lot of regulations over yeah, there. Yeah, so we'll just are, focus yeah. here on the U.S. Just, just on the U.S., there's three different classifications that are being adopted mm-hmm. in most states. So class one, the bike goes 20 miles per hour, and it can only be operated by the pedals. So okay. a 20-mile-an-hour pedal-assist bike. Class two is 20 miles an hour but operated by a throttle. And that's where our throttle bikes land. Um, the one thing that we do differently with our throttle bikes is they have 750 watts of power, which is legal for class two. They are limited to 20 miles per hour, but because we come from the automotive racing background, we have a lot of customers that use them on private property. Mm-hmm. We have customers that use them as pit bikes to get around the racetrack. So we have a race mode key. So when you're on private property, you're out at the racetrack wanting to zip around Laguna Seca, you thread this key into the battery box. It unlocks 3,000 watts of power unless you go up to that 36-mile-an-hour top speed. And that's pretty fun. Yeah, because obviously you need to get around the pits or wherever you go on a private road a little bit quicker sometimes. A little bit quicker. Yeah, know? and maybe there will be a race series that comes out one day. We can really put race mode to the test. But And then with the cafe, it's the Class 3 category. So that's pedal assist only, no throttle. It can have 750 watts of power, and it can go up to 28 miles per hour. And that cafe, like uh, ripping twenty eight miles an hour, that's it's awesome. Yeah, I mean twenty. I mean twenty eight miles an hour is is fairly shifting, and thirty six is even shifting even more. And I if would you think say. about most traffic, and if you think of traffic in San Francisco or traffic in Hollywood or downtown LA, traffic's not going twenty eight miles an hour. No, no. Yeah, so you're really moving faster than most traffic. Yeah, with those just, speeds, the cities have just got to catch up with the bike lanes, I think, and then we're there to go. Yeah, I mean, I think that the we. You know, sometimes the electric bike industry kind of looks at the ride share and the scooters, and I think just the general population kind of looks at it and not sure about it. Mm-hmm. But I think the really cool thing that those scooters and ride share bikes are doing is forcing cities to build more bicycle infrastructure. So, you know, we've seen it up in Northern California. We see it down here. Cities are really starting to think about how people can get around on electric bikes, and our bikes slot perfectly into that. It's just a premium faster version of them no it's it's fantastic i will certainly say that here especially in los angeles seeing the 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 bike lanes spread up everywhere and that's it's great it's great having the option to ride there rather than obviously what you can't do is ride in the footpath for example but having that that dedicated lane for you makes things so much easier yeah and we we started this company in 2013 
before this electric bike craze really had taken off. So, you know, a big question from a lot of our customers were, how do I really, how does this bike fit into my life? Is there infrastructure? There's not many bike paths in my area. But now that's totally changing. People are getting out, they're riding the scooters, they're saying, oh, this isn't just a, a toy that I put in my garage and ride once a month. This is a true form of transportation. I think that's kind of, over the last two years, that's really been the shift that we've been seeing and we're, we're stoked on it. And then, so where are some of your favorite places that either you've ridden or you've had some of your customers come back and said, this is where I've enjoyed taking up your bikes? I think... My favorite place to ride the bikes, in, in Northern California, there's a mountain called Mount Hamilton, and it's where we do a lot of our testing on our bikes, because it gets pretty warm up there, mm -hmm. but it's beautiful. When you drop down on the backside, like Silicon Valley disappears, and it climbs 4,000 feet of elevation, so we go ride that mountain a lot. Yeah. And then, you and know... And the electric assist probably helps climb oh, yeah. that elevation. I mean, you're, you're passing cars on the way up. It's yeah. a ton of fun, because it's so twisty. You know, we have a lot of customers down in Carmel, cruising along the coast. A lot of coastal cities really enjoy it. You know, up in San Francisco, you're riding along the ocean on the bike paths. And that's the great thing about, you know, even down here in Southern California, there's so many strands and boardwalks where you can ride these bikes. And you're not with traffic where you would be in a motorcycle. So, you know, we have customers all over the world, and that's, like, that's one of the coolest things about the brand. We have one customer, his, I forget exactly where he is but he purchased the bike from us last year mm -hmm. he's already put 5,000 miles on it a cafe a pedal assist bike put 5,000 miles on it he's lost 70 pounds and he's just absolutely loving it and getting those pictures and the videos from customers that have just been ripping and riding their bikes hard that's one of the coolest things about yeah, I mean, the whole thing 5,000 miles in a year it's a, it's a good way to travel right? oh I know he, he doesn't drive his car anymore you know, and the guy hadn't worked out in 10 years and he wanted just he wanted to get out on a bike anybody wanted that little bit of assist and it's just totally transformed his way of life. He's one of our favorite customers. It's pretty awesome. It sounds like. I mean, what is some of the other feedback then you've had from other customers? Yeah, I think it's it's all different. Mm -hmm. You know, some people purchase the bike because they love the look and the aesthetic, and they're using it to hop down to the coffee shop once a week. You know, it's their fun get-away-from-the-house type vehicle. And then we have the other customer that's buying it truly as transportation. Uh, but it, it really runs the gamut of seeing him in a collection with 30 Ferraris and a 250 GTO sitting right next to it or the person that sold their car to buy one and it's their main mode of transportation so it's just it's just, the interesting thing is they're really all kind of the same customer same way of thinking but just different use cases for the bikes and so have you realistically thought about a potential race series then for the bikes uh, this is you talking, obviously, and not your business partner who's going to reel you right back oh, in. Oh, Brian's going to be mad at me right now. No, yeah, I think when you build something and it's fast and it's fun, the automatic thing is to try to race it. Uh -huh. You know, we, we take off from the shop on our Friday and we go hit the bike path and we're not going slow. You so know, there's, we're, there's, there's certainly we're no competition them. between you and the colleagues are on the bike tracks then. Yeah, but I would love to race. I would love to put these things on the track and see what they can do. It's something that's definitely top of my mind. Well, look, I'm glad that we've started, that we've got the exclusive here on the podcast, and then <laughs> you can, the discussions can be had much behind closed doors there. But see, now Sabrina, our director of marketing, is going to have to figure that one out for us. Yeah, she's she's <laughs> pulling all sorts of faces right behind you here, so it's real good. I'm really enjoying it. I I can't think of anything better right now. So what uh, what so what's the next in the plans then, or what's how are you uh, coming along with the next steps? I should say. 
You know, I mean, aside from this brand new racing series, she's like starting in like two weeks now from Sabrina. That's what she's telling me. She's giving me the thumbs up. She's yeah, like, yeah, two weeks. Two weeks. We're doing it. Yeah. Checkered flag. Yeah. She's already got the list. She's already got the courses sorted. I mean, it's it's an interesting race. I mean, I, I, I mean, I hear we're hitting all the big Formula One Grand Prix is what she just said. I think so. Yeah. So. Yeah. Traveling circuit. Uh, I think the next steps for Vintage Electric really come down to just scaling the business, you know, mm-hmm. hiring the right people, getting smart people on board and just taking care of our family of you know, our family, of our customers that are really taking care of our family of customers. That was hard for me to say. Um, you know, that's really it. You know, we have a great product. We just need to get more of them out in the world. And then what about the, so we talked, you touched on the um, rules and regulations here, but you said in Europe, they're a little bit different. So how will that impact you when you're, when you're doing that growth? I mean, how does that compare? Because I think there's a selection of different rules for different countries in Europe, right? And then yeah. with England, like maybe, maybe not leaving, that could like that's a whole other story altogether, which we don't have to touch on. Yeah, I think the thing for us is for the next couple of years, really focusing on the U.S. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of customers in the U.S. The industry is growing here. Uh, consumers are being educated on what an electric bike can do for them. So we're really focusing on the U.S. And then you know probably 2021 we'd be rolling out into Europe in a meaningful way. Okay, and then so. We just focus on the U.S. here. With the different states, How is there any states that are really pro with the electric bikes and some that are lagging behind or anything like that? Or is it just a common thread where everyone's just taking their time because it's a nature of, uh, I guess, rules and regulations of sorts? Yeah, I think the states, like California, Oregon, New York's a little funny. There's some weird regulations going on there right now. Mm-hmm. The major cities that are coastal are really adopting electric bikes you know any major city knows they have a traffic issue Mm -hmm. and they see this as a solution they just want to make sure they're doing it in a meaningful way it's not going to ruin everybody's day and there's not going to be scooters hanging off of every tree on every street corner um but yeah i mean cities are adopting it and they have to because there's no way that you can move all these people into these urban areas and they're going to be driving around in a suburban it's just not going to work if you're out in the middle of texas go ahead drive an f-250 around if you You know our bike might not be the best one for you but if you live in a city and traffic's an issue it's really in our opinion well look Let's all be saying the places like Dallas, they have a few cars, a few freeways there that could do with some electric bike assist. Totally, yeah. We, we ship a lot of bikes to Texas too, you know, and you don't just need to be in traffic for the bike to be fun. And I mean, I wasn't in traffic, around. like I said. I mean, I was in the bike path. I was using it as I should, and it was it was fun. You were on a bike path. That's why you weren't in traffic. If you yeah. were trying to get around in your car when we were down there riding, oh, no, it was you awful. definitely would have been in traffic. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was awful. Um, so then also let's touch on your hobbies that sort of led you into this with your tracking of uh, cars of sorts I, is it i remember was it a bmw yeah so when i i had a when i stopped racing mountain bikes i sold all of them and i bought a 95 m3 mm-hmm. and in that metal shop in high school and tw- tweaked on it and now it's got a roll cage and race seats and harnesses and i tracked that for a little bit and then realized that it was pretty expensive so yeah. I went out and bought an old beat-up 125cc go-kart that I started tracking up at Sears Point mm-hmm. and then got onto a racing team, got a little better better go-kart. And But, you know, with any sort of racing, especially when you're as young as I am, you realize the costs just add up. Yeah. So, you know, the full focus and my adrenaline now kind of comes from running the business and, and taking that to the next level. Because I, I know that when I had a chance to, like, talk to a Formula One driver, I said, look is there still any chance that I can make it in F1? <laughs> and I, I, there was two ways you could look at it. One, he's told me absolutely no, 
there's no way that I could do that uh, because I'm too old. But then I just saw the fear in his eyes. I could see that. I'm looking at your so, eyes right now. And then, so that's what I thought. He's scared of me. He doesn't want me to join F1. He doesn't because so. he's that's the, there's the risk involved. Obviously, he's like that guy. Could be him. He could be the next. He could be 17 times world champion. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's the racing and motorsport is really our DNA. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, you know everybody at the shop wants to get back to that someday. But really, it's all about this. It's all about the bikes this time. It's all about the bikes, you know, and we're all behind it 110 percent. And it's it's so much fun. We show up every day. We have an awesome group of customers, and it's it's our own kind of race, just making this company work. Yeah, and so with that, if anyone's trying to find out more information on the bikes and the company in general, where's the best way to go about this? The best thing is www.vintageelectricbikes.com. Our phone number is 408-969-0836, and you could also just call that number and just ask for Eddie. And he will give you all the information you could ever want. I like that Eddie's going to be inundated with phone calls now. You look at all, all of our reviews. He gets all, he gets all the glamour. Everyone loves Eddie. My dad's probably going to call Eddie and just want to have a chat to him, probably. That's what he does all day long. He learns about grandkids' graduations, and he knows everyone by name. He knows the rest of their family members, too. And what about if anyone wants to follow you like on social media? Where can they track you down on that one? Yeah, so on Instagram, it's at Vintage Electric. And then on Facebook, I believe it's at Vintage Electric Bikes. Perfect. Look, you even getting the nods from the back. Look, someone's very proud of you right now. Did I get that right? Thumbs yeah. up, she says. And she's, already, she's, got, she's got 35 people for the series, I think, for the racing series. Already signed up. She's good to go on that one. Look, she's well, now that, we, now that we put it live, we have to do it. Exactly. Look, there's no, no pressure here. So, Andrew, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk. It's been a real joy. Um, and then everyone certainly has to go and go to the website, order it. Talk to Eddie. Now they've got his number. Yeah. On the regular. And every time we talk to him, buy at least three bikes. At you know, least three. Or just talk to him, you know. No pressure. But no pressure, but buy three bikes another each thing, time. Another thing you can do is if you're in the Bay Area, you can come down to our Santa Clara showroom, take the bikes for a test ride. You can also look at the dealer locator on our website, check out our retailers, go down there, take them for a spin. Look, it's perfect. It's been wonderful. So, Andrew, thank you so much for being here. Thank you again, everyone who's listening. Also, have appreciated those five-star reviews that you've been giving me um, and the podcast. I guess it's probably not for me. It's probably more for Kaiju Kiwi, who everyone likes much more than me. But uh, with that being said, if you haven't given us a review yet, just think of it as uh, one of our friends and former guests said. Think of it out of ten when it's really out of five. So if it's a bad podcast, just say it's five. Stick with the five stars. If it's a good one, ten, just round it down and just go with five. Say some nice words about us. That would be great. And you can always obviously find us online at nobreaking.com or on the social media at nobreaking on Facebook and Instagram. And until then, guys, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.